And we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. My name is Kent C. Dodds, and I am your host today for this JavaScript Air episode number 20, which means it's our 21st episode because we started zero here. Um, but uh, we're going to be talking about Ember today. Um, before we get into that and introducing our guests, I'd like to give a shout out to the sponsors that make the money parts of this podcast possible. The money parts being like transcripts and hosting and the newsletter and stuff like that. So thanks to our sponsors. Um, and, uh, our, our first sponsor, our premier sponsor, is Egghead.io, um, and they have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and hopefully Ember sometime. I'm looking at you, honey. Uh, so uh, then Frontend Masters is a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. I think they actually do have content on Ember. So yeah, check them out. Um, at frontendmasters.com. And then TrackJS. Uh, TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them, and with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And SparkPost is an email uh, delivery built for developers. Build something awesome with their Node.js library or SMTP relay. Start sending 100,000 emails free with SparkPost at sparkpost.com slash jsair. And then WebStorm. Uh, WebStorm is a powerful JavaScript IDE. It makes developers more productive with its super intelligent code assistance for JavaScript, Node, Angular, React, and integration with lots of uh, uh, different tools. Learn more at jetbrains.com slash WebStorm. Sweet. That's our sponsors. So um, before we get underway, if you have questions while we're um, doing this show, if you're watching live, um, then you can ask those questions of the panelists and our guests uh, using the hashtag JSRQuestion on Twitter. And I watch that during the show and at the end of the show uh, so that we can bring up those questions uh, during the show. And uh, then remember that this is a weekly show, and so uh, we do have another show uh, next week. Um, it will be a different time. I believe it's uh, 2 p.m. M uh, MDT or MST, whatever daylight savings we're on right now. Um, but uh, we're going to be on-site at ng-conf. Um, so, yeah, should be fun. And uh, we'll have a bunch of guests there. Um, it'll be like our other conference on-site shows. Definitely looking for feedback on those. And then, as always, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus to keep up with the latest from JavaScript Air. Great. So let's uh, go ahead and introduce who we have as uh, panelists today. Uh, first, for our uh, panelists, we have Ehani Ikekuchu. Ikekuchu. We'll get it. Ikekuchu. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get it. I promise. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Uh, and Kyle Simpson. Hello, everyone. Uh, and then for our guest today, we have Gavin Joyce. Hi. And Matthew Beal. Howdy. And Robert Jackson. Hello, hello. And we're super excited to have you all. I'd like to invite each one of you in, um, to just introduce yourselves, um, who you are, why you care about uh, Ember, that kind of thing. So we'll start with Gavin. Okay, uh, so I live in Dublin, Ireland. I've got two young great kids. Uh, I've been building software for about 18 years. Um, two and a half years ago, I joined my present company, Intercom, and I introduced Ember uh, successfully to Intercom. Uh, we've uh, grown fantastically since then. We've released a, a number of great products, and I'm very enthusiastic, and I I love Ember, the community, and the framework. Sweet. Um, let's go with Matthew next. 
Yeah, howdy. Uh, my name is Matthew Beale. I, I go by the handle Mixonic on, um, uh, I don't know, Slack and Twitter, since there's public Slacks now. Uh, I'm a developer based in New York City. Uh, a few years ago, I started a, a small consulting company with a partner of mine, Corey Forsyth. We're called 201 Created. We do a lot of um, uh, open source and helping companies work with open source uh, to create like, scalable solutions and scalable communities. So we've done some work on open source text editor called MobileDoc, and we've uh, been working with Ember for like three and a half or four years or something like that. It's amazing how much time has gone by. Uh, it's really incredible. Um, yeah, so that's the AD20. Cool, yeah, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> awesome, Robert, uh, why don't you go next? Yep, I'm Robert Jackson. I am a uh, uh, developer at uh, Twitch at this point, um, and uh, I work with um, um, I work with uh, with Mixonic on the core team, the Ember core team, and do just a bunch of uh, open source development in and around the Ember ecosystem on roughly any possible add-on that exists. Um, and uh, just uh, love the love the community, and it's what keeps me coming back and contributing and, and getting involved. Very cool. I didn't realize you worked at Twitch. That's cool. Um, <laughs> so when I was live streaming, adding you to the JavaScript Air, uh, website like two hours ago, you're like, oh, cool, Twitch. <laughs> yes, hey, I know that site. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, let's get into our subject today. We're, we're talking about Ember, and each one of you um, care a thing or two about Ember. Um, so I, I think it's good to always start out our conversations with a good baseline uh, so we all understand what we're talking about. Uh, make sure that we all understand we're talking about a washing machine. No, just kidding. A, a framework. Let's chat about that. So what is Ember? Well, there is a coffee uh, coffee mug that is uh, made by a company named Ember. Maybe that's it. That's confusing. <laughs> yeah. Also, in Ember's dance club in Portland, which everyone recognizes when we go to EmberConf every year, and then tweets about it. Nice. Uh, yeah, Ember is a, Ember's a JavaScript framework that uh, originally was called Spark Core 2 and then was called Amber. Uh, it was really spun off from like a, a legacy of, well, a legacy at that time, project called Sprout Core. Um, uh, Yehuda and uh, Yehuda Katz and, and Tom Dale are the ones who famously started working on Ember. Uh, really what their goal was was to take some of the parts of Sprout Core, which was heavily inspired by iOS development and Cocoa and, and that style of library, and try and uh, bridge that with the fact that Sprout Core felt very awkward on the web because you no longer had access to things like HTML and CSS and what you kind of expected from a web framework. Uh, so Ember really uh, attempted very early on to marry those two things, to say, let's take the things that work really well in Objective-C or, or any other kind of native development and bring them into the web, but not lose the parts of the web that make it uh, a, you know, a viable, important platform that's been around for 20-something years. Um, so I don't know. That's that's the high level uh, the high level summary uh, values that Ember has that make it kind of uh, unique, or at least things that we like to tout. Of course, many frameworks have different variations, of this, uh, but we uh, strongly take from Rails the idea of uh, convention over configuration. So uh, Ember tries to emphasize that there is a pit of success that you will fall into by doing something instead of uh, needing to discover or find um, what the right way is um, amongst multiple options. Uh, there's a, a question that popped up. I should close this real quick. Yeah, sorry, I was just mostly making that as a note to myself, but I wanted to ask you, Matthew, uh, what, like you, you mentioned that there are some important things that uh, you didn't want to lose um, uh, in the web platform. What are some of those important things that you were talking about? 
Yeah, HTML is uh, HTML and the web APIs are uh, they they are like the strongest semver guarantee that you can possibly have, right? They will never break. You can write an app for the web, and there's pretty deep chance that it will still work on many many platforms all around the globe in eight years. You know, we're su we're supporting Microsoft browsers that are nearly ten years old, and we we are actually supporting them. Uh, and that's a thing that you couldn't say if you were to write your app for iOS. You're not supporting a ten year old version of iOS. I think that's a really valuable part of the web platform that um, we want to hold on to. The other thing is still URLs. Uh, URLs are still something that native platforms have uh, attempted a couple passes at, but I don't think they've quite knocked out of the park like the web has. The idea that you can take all of the state of the application that you're currently running, put it into a simple text string, which is hopefully human-readable, but not always, and then pass it around uh, is still a really valuable uh, concept. Yeah, I feel like maybe I should kick it over to Gavin or, or Robert if they want to talk, and I'm sure I missed a whole bunch of good intro things. Okay, so uh, for uh, for me, as uh, not someone who works on the internals of Ember, I'm not on uh, any of the, the uh, teams that, like uh, Robert and Matthew are, um, but I do build a pretty large application and uh, on Ember, so I have that perspective. Um, for me, some of the great things about Ember are, uh, one, the, the conventions. And this, this isn't just the conventions around uh, thinking about the application that's actually running in terms of the moving parts. Um, there are very strong conventions there, but it extends to uh, the, the actual structure of uh, the file system, how files are laid out. Um, how we test the app, how we deploy it, how we create it, how we uh, pull parts out into add-ons, how the community coalesces around these add-ons, how we uh, progress the framework by submitting RFCs, um, how it uh, has a six-week re release cycle and how it cares about all of the apps that are out there and um, thinks thoughtfully about how we, are, uh, how we can get from a pre-release to a one release to a point two to a point three, how we actually bring everyone along with that and everyone gets better all at the same time. Um, how we talk to our JSON APIs. All of these things are uh, um, decisions that a lot of people have to make for themselves and people make various different decisions. Um, by not having to make those decisions, uh, an app like Intercom and a, a team of um, 70 engineers, maybe uh, 30 who regularly work on the Ember app, uh, we're just we're just starting from a much higher place, so we we can be extremely productive uh, with the framework. I have a question. Um, <clears throat> so, Ember, I think, would very fairly be categorized in the top three uh, of the of the major frameworks that get most of the attention these days. Certainly not the only ones, but I think top three: Angular, uh, React, and Ember. Kind of most people would agree with that. So. Um, I think a lot of our listeners might be interested to hear you talk, any, any one of the panelists, talk about why would I choose, uh, so I have two two-part question. First of all, why would I choose Ember over just writing the code myself? Um, you know, uh, so what are, the, what are the places where Ember has kind of a sweet spot? Uh, you touched a little bit on that with some of the uh, the platform level stuff, kind of like the inherit, you know, inherited from Rails. But I'd like to know more about that. Like, what are some use cases where Ember really shines? And uh, second part of that question is, what are some of the places where Ember is going to differ in the approach to app development as opposed to something like React or Angular? 
Um, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so the, a couple of things to the first question. Um, basically, uh, the idea the idea behind Ember is that um, you can you can jump in and you can you can build out an app um, quickly, and uh, you don't hit walls as you go. You don't have to get to a point where the things you've written before you have to tear apart and redo because it doesn't scale. Um, with with regards to number of developers, number of like pages or routes or whatever the the case may be in the app. Um, I think um, so. It, to do that, we've built a ton of tooling um, around making it very easy and straightforward to get started in an app. Um, I mean, it's just a handful, like two, like npm install Ember CLI and then Ember new some name. That's it. Um, and I think that's that's really powerful. It lets you jump in um, and hit the ground running, and then you don't have to build your own build tooling. You don't have to figure out how to transpile ES6 if you want to use ES6. You don't have to decide where to put your files or um, uh, how to deploy. All of that stuff is is sort of prepackaged and ready to go, um, which you could absolutely do with any of the or your own homegrown thing. You can absolutely do all of those things um, straightforwardly. I mean, these are these are known solutions. The problem is you have to do them. Um, you then are maintaining and required to maintain all of that code and um, all that that whole solution basically forever until it either stops working, you leave, or um, you have to rewrite it in something else, right? Like, um, so I think that's that's the one of the real powers uh, of Ember. It's like a community of developers building all the things that we all have to build and create and ship, and um, you know, and and. And so that each of us individually don't have to build our own bespoke systems um, separately, and we can all focus on just building the apps that we actually care about. So on that point, just just to drill in a little bit, uh, since it was invoked earlier with Rails, I, I was never a Rails de developer, but I know many that are and have talked uh, a lot. And um, one of the characteristics that I got about the Rails community was kind of like there's like one right way to do each task. Like there's one. Rails module that's kind of everybody uses for authentication and one that everybody uses for the caching and one for testing or whatever. Is that similar in the Ember world where it's not a lot of choice? It's kind of like we've already figured out and so just you know pull these Legos in, or or how do you manage the choice in a big ecosystem? So the uh, the the phrasing is slightly odd. Sorry. Um, so so there's a few choice. There's a few things. Uh, firstly, the the most of the things you're talking like most of the things you're going to want to do have been solved. The generic things have been solved by um, by add-ons. Uh, what we call add-ons, which is just uh, npm packages that know how to plug into certain hooks in Ember CLI. Um, there is a great website, um, uh, emberobserver.com, that you can go to and get a, like a ranking, and they evaluate the tests and sort of tell you like categories of you know things to update the document title or things to uh, do authentication or like that kind of stuff. Similar things exist probably in every ecosystem, and I probably don't know them all, but um, it's a it's a it's a great it's a great avenue to explore. Um, I think that there. Are, uh, the idea that there's only one way one way to do a thing is generally not true, um, and is generally a thing that puts a lot of people off. Um, I think that there are uh, uh, general there in a lot of cases is a few really good contenders for how to do specific things, uh, like network requests or uh, you know API structures or things like that. Um, and the fact that you you can just Pick one, pick the one you like. You know, look at rankings, figure out what people are using, um, and just you know go to town. Um, I think that's that, that's that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Yeah, and and to to add to that, there is um there is a, an emerging tradition that started really only in the last year um, of 
independent solutions that are independent add-ons, NPM packages, solving a similar problem, uh, coming together to take the lessons that they learned and come up with one solution. And what's kind of cool about this is it's been very much a, a bottom-up thing. So Luke Malia gave a talk at last year's EmberConf that was great about uh, a deployment strategy. And he had talked to a bunch of the people who maintain different deployment tooling for Ember CLI. And I uh, got them all on board with the idea of creating one tool that like summarized all of their knowledge and made it made it easy to, to use. And they've done that over this year. And they have like their own kind of structure of a, of a team that maintains this thing and tries to solve the, the harder problems in it by bouncing ideas around between people who know the domain really well. Uh, we're seeing that now with accessibility happening in Ember, where there's another team that's popped up to do that. Um, the translations libraries have worked close, closely with each other to try and see if there's a path for them to merge. So it's kind of cool from the bottom up to see these people trying to say that they want a single solution. Even the maintainers, they don't want to maintain their own bespoke thing. They want it to, to move forward. I think that's a really mature attitude. Um, so what, one concern that I have with um, like all the decisions being made for me, and I think this is a pretty common criticism of convention over configuration, is like um, the the times where um, like this tool was built totally out of the context of my application, so uh, it might not cover my use cases properly, or, or I might have a weird um, endpoint that I just have to hit because it's a vendor endpoint or something like that. So how often do you find yourselves having to break outside of these conventions, and how easy is it for you to do that? Yeah, that's a good question for Gavin. Uh, I feel like uh, Robert and I probably have the curse of knowledge on that one. Uh, right, so uh, I, I guess, I mean, don't let the idea of uh, convention over configuration uh, scare you or, or interpret it as meaning that there's only absolutely one way of doing things. So first of all, like uh, Robert touched on, uh, the uh, Ember Deploy uh, team, they coalesce to form you know, one add-on that does deployment, but it internally it's got a plugin uh, strategy. See, so there's all these different plugins that fit in there. So it's actually, it's now a convention, it's now a higher level API where people are now contributing all different types of strategies and uh, there's a, an ecosystem of solutions uh, uh, emerging there. From uh, Intercom, the Intercom app perspective, because uh, we're quite a large app, um, there are many, many people working on it. So uh, uh, over the last two years that we've been wor working on the Ember, uh, our Ember application, we've had to uh, dip into lower level APIs or private APIs from time to time, or even just bypass Ember uh, altogether. I mean, it's, it's JavaScript running in a browser. It's got access to the DOM. Um, you can, it's got jQuery, you can use jQuery plugins. If you want, you can very lightly wrap them with components and reuse them so you get the, the benefit of encapsulation and reusability and testing and all of that. Um, uh, we've also noticed that when, when we do, from time to time, uh, dip down, uh, uh, that's, the, that's the time when we might have to put in a little bit of work as the framework uh, upgrades. And that's the kind of trade-off you have to make. Um, uh, by bypassing the uh, conventions where necessary, and um, we're, we're not part of this shared understanding of what an Ember application is, so we just need to shepherd that through as the framework uh, progresses. But it, interestingly, as, as we dip, uh, as we uh, find small areas or pockets of areas where we have to uh, go lower than uh, what Ember provides or to uh, bypass the conventions, Quite often, there's uh, an interesting problem there with it, uh, uh, some solutions emerge from that. And this is, as I'm not sure who it was, but someone tweeted a couple of days ago, a week ago, 
Uh, they said Ember is a community from which a framework emerges. And I just think that's uh, spot on. Um, quite often, the interesting, when you struggle with uh, a framework or a toolkit or anything like that, especially a framework, um, uh, if other people are having similar problems, that's just an opportunity for us to get together, figure out what it is actually we're trying to do, build a nice uh, API in an open way with an RFC, and that's how the framework uh, moves along. And um, in our time with Intercom, we've, we've done that uh, a number of times. We've uh, bypassed one of the conventions. We've created an add-on. We've noticed other people have the same problem. Um, we talk about it, uh, sometimes create an RFC, and then this either makes its way into Ember, or people coalesce and agree upon a, one particular add-on, and that moves on independently. Ihani, did you have something? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I guess one of the things with Ember, like so with Angular, I guess you would be able to sprinkle Angular into like your HTML tags to read back to towards like piece by piece. We've seen the same story about like React by going piecemeal um, on one small component of an application and then building outwards to a larger application. What's the story around refactoring like an existing like server rendered application? With just like maybe vanilla JavaScript with some jQuery sprinkled into it to an Ember application, and like how like is there any conventions around that, or I guess any uh, good resources on learning about that for uh, new Ember developers or just a team that may be looking to use Ember for their product? Yeah, so there is not. Um, I, I think there are there are two strategies. Uh, there is not, unfortunately, I can't think of like a single guide or something that summarizes all of the knowledge that exists about this. I think it's. Uh, characteristically the kind of knowledge that happens internally at companies and that they gain and then they immediately throw away because once they've used it, like, they don't know. Yeah. Um, but the first strategy is to uh, use URLs, which is going to sound low-tech, but works really well for a lot of different kinds of applications. Uh, you basically are migrating page by page, and then you use URLs to navigate between them, and everything just works like it should because Ember apps have really great, strong support for your uh, URL routing. Uh, but the second strategy, which is, I think, more what you're getting to, uh, which is more fun, technically, is figuring out how to get an Ember component to drop into part of a page, uh, yeah. which is a lot more exciting. There is an add-on called Ember Islands, uh, written by uh, Mitch Lloyd, who I work with, who is a fantastic, really capable um, developer. Uh, uh, Ember Islands lets you uh, uh, in a, I think it pairs very well with a Rails app, but basically you are able to drop in a payload of data for a component and declare where you want the component to go. Uh, and that's, it's, a, it's a very specific implementation of that solution. Um, I've certainly implemented it and, and implemented it, and other people have, on top of a different library called Ember Wormhole. Uh, and Ember Wormhole works a little bit differently. When Ember renders, uh, when you know, Ember's render tree actually happens, it of course just makes a bunch of DOM nodes. Uh, Ember Wormhole is, uh, uses this magic trick where it says, well, I just rendered a bunch of text nodes or elements into the DOM, so now I'm just going to take them all off the DOM and then put them back on the DOM in a different location that's outside of my app proper, uh, which is kind of a, a cool magic trick that lets you do lots of really interesting things with an Ember component. So I think there are a couple strategies out there. Uh, I just gave a talk at EmberConf on custom elements and how you can consume custom elements from inside of an Ember app and how you might invoke Ember components from a custom element. So I'd like to see us experiment a little bit more with a custom element strategy. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, all that stuff is good, but uh, for Ember, at least, it's an interim step. And I think that is a slight difference. If you're talking about building an, an Angular 1 app, certainly, maybe not two, but or a React app, um, 
like you really are maybe saying that I'm going to sprinkle this in and that'll be fine. That's that's my that's my end game, um, and that's definitely not what we want your end game to be. Um, so if we go back to um, you know back in history a little bit, and I realize half our listeners probably weren't even in our industry four years ago, but uh, if me. we go back a few years ago, um, we had Backbone was you know a pretty popular quote unquote framework. Certainly. Um, a lot of people are inspired by the MVC pattern or MV star pattern to implement on top of that. And um, I, I personally was a, was a fan of it because it was very modular. I could sort of you know, pick and choose the different pieces that I liked, and there were certain things that I thought were awful and other things that I thought were great. Um, but the, uh, the problem with Backbone that I think some of these other newer frameworks have tried to solve is that if you lined up 10 different people that were Backbone developers, you'd get 11 different answers for what a Backbone app is um, because it was so wide open. So I think we saw a move to sort of constrain down to uh, to do a thing. You just have to understand like this one concept, and this is this is the flow of the stream. So if you go with the flow of the stream, it works. And so if we think about Angular, that that notion is uh, declarative markup and the idea of of how we separate out our uh, our controllers, I don't even remember all this terminology. In React, it seems like the virtual DOM, and especially with Redux, like the flow of the single flow of data and that sort of thing. So for Ember, what's that like one set of core concepts that I would need to, to learn uh, so that I could do it do Ember the the idiomatic way, the, the way that goes with the flow instead of trying to come up with my own thing from scratch? Robert is already unmuted, so I'm looking at him. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so the the um, the nice thing about Ember, like a few of us have said, is that um, we we're generally always sort of emerging the 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 way that uh, that we look at things and we um, you know we we think about problems. Um, we saw React coming forward and and doing some really awesome things with the idea of data down. Actions up, and not in, and we've we've absolutely like whole wholeheartedly um, glommed onto that and let them do our research for us and learned many many things from from them, um, and, uh, and and that's still very much the the right way to build an idiomatic Ember two app. Um, and I think uh, in addition to that, you know, other things that are very important and you should always keep in mind um, is is the especially when you're building an app and not just like a like a widget that's interactive on the page is that like the, your app. Essentially, is is owning a given URL, and that URL is is like uh, the single frame of reference that people are going to jump into your app and link to and, and jump around. And that thing is like canonical. That is that is where uh, that's like home base, right? Like that's that's where your thing lives. That's what's most one of the most important parts um, of of the app. And this is also a thing that many many apps. Um, Hopefully, non-Ember apps uh, uh, actually get wrong. Um, you know, like how many times have you been on a really nice, slick website and wanted to copy a link and paste it to someone, and the link doesn't actually open to where you were? Like that kind of thing is is really, uh, really, really annoying, and it breaks. It basically is breaking the web. Uh, conceptually, like the idea of the web is that you can link to things, um, and, and Ember works really hard to make that uh, make that structure uh, very simple uh, from a user perspective to to implement and, and follow. So I, I guess uh, my answer would be th those are the two main sort of guiding principles. Uh, you know, go from the URL forward, um, structure your app based on how you want to present it, um, and uh, you know, 
essentially determine like who owns what data and only allow that thing to mutate the data, basically. Yeah, I think the direct comparison to, it, it's difficult to make the direct comparison to what is the model compared to something like React. Like I think in Robert's answer, what I was hearing a lot is uh, talking about routes. And I think that's the classic thing where, um, or not classic, but it, it, it's rather indicative of the fact that Ember's scope is a little bit larger. So we could talk about what the unifying characteristics of like the templating engine is, um, but that's, that's, that's not the bounds of, like, uh, of what we're trying to, to build for people. Very cool. Um, I had a question around, I guess, I don't, I, it's a concept I don't want to like, go untalked about in the show. So I want to hear more around like the story about server rendered like Ember applications and talking about um, Fastboot and perhaps the future of that, if you all know that. Because I think it's really, I know that they announced that at EmberConf. I know that there was a lot of hype around that. But I'm wondering how far along maybe progress is around like having a Fastboot application that also will be able to like maybe do the initial boot, but then rehydrate your app so you can then continue using it. Uh, okay, so uh, I will uh, start from the beginning of time uh, or of Fastboot. All right. And um, so, uh, so yeah, so Ember CLI Fastboot is a, is a library that you can install in an Ember app today. Um, it currently uh, works with stable versions of Ember, so you can kind of just drop it in and use it, and it renders. Um, but, uh, and, and it works actually really well. Um, there are a number of things that you'll end up fighting or dealing with with various parts of your app and your, um, uh, you know, and, and any external libraries you pull in, things that might assume things about the state, um, like assume that they have document or assume that they have window, uh, which aren't actually things in the server. Um, you know, so, so you'll have to figure those things out, um, but uh, like, Basically, the entire Ember community is also going through this path with you, and you'll find, or at least I have found, uh, as I've built these sites, uh, other people have like are also discovering things, and we chat. There's a nice Slack room where we talk about it, and uh, you know, people are fixing other add-ons that they don't own, and uh, going through and, and just dealing with all those things. So that's the first part, um, and that very much works today. Um, it's still, I would, I would call it more like. Uh, uh, beta-ish, right? Like, it's not perfect. There's a lot of things in the ecosystem, like other add-ons that you might pull in that need some assistance. Uh, some things are actually really complicated uh, in the server-rendered uh, page. So things like auth, right? Like, how do you track auth? How do you do, like, in in app, in a browser, it's it's very, uh, very well-known thing. And in the server, it's a very well-known thing. But how do you go between the two, right? How do you crawl, how do you bridge the gap with the same library? Those kinds of things um, are the things that are currently actively being solved. Um, and uh, and the, the, there is a specific team uh, within the Ember, Ember Sphere, the Fastboot team. They have regular meetings, um, you know, and, and uh, I think their meeting minutes are actually published as well. They're, they're um, actually in a meeting right now. Right now, yes. Um, so the... Um, uh, so, uh, so, so that's that's sort of the the first few bits. The the last part, uh, and this is the tricky part, uh, or as if the rest of it hasn't been tricky so far, um, is uh, is actually rehydrating the app. So when you get the uh, when you get the HTML like emitted from the server, um, and you get the browser uh, request the HTML, how do you resume that app with the current state? Um, and that part's not done. Um, so right now, what happens uh, is essentially we just re-render the DOM, um, like everything. Um, it, you know, like clearing what was there previously. Um, 
and uh, in in the the path forward on that is uh, the implementation of uh, the, the newer rendering engine um, that we're actively pushing very very hard on. Um, it's uh, it's it's both faster uh, in most most every way, um, and also uh, will have will give us the ability to start working on the rehydration stuff. Um, so yeah, so so that's that's kind of where things are at. Um, uh, server rendering right now uh, absolutely works. Uh, you can use uh, you can use it to, for example, run an Ember app uh, without uh, without JavaScript enabled. For, you know, for example, or or potentially serve to uh, you know older clients or uh, or whatever. Um, SEO is a great other a great other use case. Um, you know, but then once it boots, it's still going to um, you know sort of clear that server render DOM and, and re-render um, from from scratch. Um, you know, but but we're actively working on it. We have a plan forward. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't give timelines for open source yeah, projects, definitely. but uh, but it's definitely a thing that's very high on our priority list. For sure. So after it, like, so with this fast boot story, that means that you would probably move away from rendering your Ember application within, like, the context of your backend, like, in, within the context of a Rails application. You can move it to its like own separate server to actually have that true separation of the front end application from the back end that could just now be your API service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so right now, uh, a lot of people like confuse uh, or get confused in general when we talk about server rendered. We are not saying that your API server is the thing rendering your HTML. Yeah. Right. What we're saying is you're actually using same Ember app that boots in the browser, you're going to use that and spin up a Node instance uh, or Node process, whatever, and, and render the HTML in, the, in Node land uh, with the same exact code that runs in the browser. So that means that it's, it's going to be on the server side communicating with whatever other outside processes have your API or, um, you know, all of that stays exactly the same. Um, and uh, and and the nice side effect is even if you didn't want um, to do the rehydration stuff or you didn't want to send the HTML to the client, you now have ways to, f uh, for example, discover uh, how what all the data uh, for a given um, page load is going to be and preload that for them. Right, like those kinds of things are possible even without caring about the pre-rendered HTML. Yeah, um, which is actually what that's what LinkedIn is doing for their mobile page now. They yes, yes, cool. code to figure out what API calls happen. Chad Hytale gave a great talk about that uh, idea and concept at EmberConf as well. I can link that in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Thanks. So I want to uh, ask about some of the challenges of rehydration because it's not an easy problem. Uh, so some of the things that I can think of is um, maintaining focus. So like in the time that the user gets the HTML and then they like they can start messing around with the app and if they have a slow network, uh, it takes a while to get all the JavaScript down and then rehydrate. Like they can, you know, tab into different input elements, and if you totally re-render, then they lose focus. Another thing would be like I know that Angular Universal, ha I, I believe that they have this ability to like track the things that the user is clicking on and interacting with, and then replay those um, uh, those events when um, the JavaScript loads and and things are rehydrated. So, what are some of uh, like are are you addressing those issues? And then, what are some of the other challenges that um, rehydration uh, brings up? Yeah, I mean, and, that and, is, and to, to piggyback on that for just a moment, can we actually define what rehydration is? 
we threw that term around, and I'm not sure that everybody listening will even know what that means. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to define it, and then I'll kick it back over to Matt. Uh, so basically, rehydration. Uh, so uh, when you talk about sending uh, a string of HTML to a browser, um, that HTML obviously already has the content in it, like maybe whatever dynamic data that was pre-rendered, um, like a person's name or the blog post title or whatever the heck it is, um, will be pre-rendered in the DOM elements, right? Like So in like divs or whatever, whatever the heck you're using. Um, and, uh, and, and so rehydration would basically, uh, is basically talking about, um, so from the, from the perspective of the, the JavaScript app that's going to boot after that has already been rendered and shown to the user, how do you uh, uh, take that state that's already embedded in the DOM and seed that state into the running uh, booted JavaScript app? Right. Um, the same problems exist in, in basically anyone that's doing server-side rendering. Like you have to figure out um, how to get the state that's already been encoded into the DOM uh, back into the running app. Um, uh, so you don't have to do things like delete all the DOM elements and re-render from scratch, right? Um, so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's rehydration uh, in, in a nutshell is, is that process of taking the, the data or, or the, the current state essentially from the DOM and hydrating the booted Ember app um, state or the, the current app state. Yeah, and it is the subtle thing that some, I, I, I know um, I've seen frameworks like Riot being used in the wild where they don't actually do rehydration. People presume that virtual DOM means it will rehydrate, and that's not necessarily always true. Um, uh, yeah, to speak to, to speak to Ken's point, I, I think like the replay of events, you basically described exactly what we would want to undertake. <laughs> we would do something very similar to what Angular 2 is doing, where we just keep a queue of all the things that the user is interacting with and then attempt to play those, play those back. Um, obviously, that's going to take a bunch of real-world testing to see how that goes. Uh, important goal here, though, is that uh, if you want to do a server-rendered React app, that's like definitely totally possible today, and you can do it really well. Um, one of the challenges, though, is that your a large part of your server will be very bespoke, and a large part of your architecture will be very unique to to what you're doing. Uh, and with Ember's fast boot strategy, we do want a strategy that's easy enough and simple enough that everyone has no excuse. Like, if you don't want to, you don't want to do it. Of course, you can opt out. But like uh, today, with uh, Fastboot, you can deploy a build pack to Heroku and boot up your Ember app on Heroku and be done. Like, it, it should be like a, a three, two, three-step process. It should not be sending a, a rocket to the moon in order to run your client-side app on the on the server. Um, to the second part about some of the challenges in um, like mutating focus and kind of changing the the, the DOM as you render. Uh, so the Glimmer 2 work that we've been doing in Ember is, is learning a lot from you know, the previous passes that we've done on rendering engines of HTML bars and Glimmer. And like every time we learn something new and move forward a little bit, uh, Glimmer 2 has a really interesting architecture. When it ships down templates to your client, it ships down a series of opcodes that run on a virtual machine in your browser. And as we execute those opcodes, we build up the DOM for your screen. But at the same time, we're emitting a different set of update opcodes so if we need to re-render that logic, we don't actually run the initial opcodes all over again because there's a bunch of wasted work that we don't need anymore. All we do is run the updated opcodes. So the, the, the key for us to do rehydration and do it really well is that we, when we, on the server, render your application in Fastboot, we keep track of those update opcodes on the server side, and then we just ship all those opcodes down to the client. So we don't even need to like walk the DOM to check that everything is correct. I mean, barring browser quirks, which may or may not come into play. Like, we just ship the update opcodes, and then we're done. Like, you don't need to go and change the input to be some kind of new input or something like that. Everything just stays the DOM that it was. 
if you want to, uh, if you want to learn more detail about like how the how the opcodes in Glimmer two work, it's a fascinating architecture. Uh, Yehuda uh, has a different talk. Yehuda and Godfrey Chan have a different talk from EmberConf this year, a few weeks ago, uh, where they go into some detail. And then Gavin Joyce actually has an excellent interview that he did with Yehuda. Um, like a month and a half or two months ago that goes through the architecture in a lot of really deep detail with a lot of code up on the screen. Um, in the React world, uh, one of the things that is touted is uh, the integration with React Native that you learn one set of coding practices and now you can switch over and work in the native world. Can you speak to what strategy you would use if you were kind of all in on the Ember side of things and you had an app that was running on a server and then you wanted to start trying to use that same code and target a native client, for example? Yeah, I think the, so, yeah, the, the, the native strategy is an, is an interesting thing to bring up and talk about. Um, technically, this is totally plausible. Like this is definitely a thing that we, of course, that we that we can do. The Glimmer 2 architecture uh, is basically completely isolated, similar to Angular 2, where they they talk a lot about how their rendering engine is completely isolated from the, the DOM itself. So they could, for instance, do rendering on a web worker, then ship the extra work back over to the main threads so that you're not blocking the UI thread when you're rendering. Uh, Glimmer 2 has a lot of those, a lot of similar facets. So that um, I think technically is it's very very plausible, and we've uh, I know I have personally discussed it with a couple of people the idea of what an Ember native would look like. Um, I think the the bigger fight though is that we're trying to take the fight to native apps themselves. Um, uh, we want we think that the web is a viable platform for you to publish uh, what people consider app-like experiences today. Uh, and that's really the end goal for us. Like the, the end goal as a framework, as someone who like maintains the framework and tries to think about where we're going and what we want to do with it, uh, is that like we we are in the position of privilege where we get to make the web what we want it to be. Like JavaScript is is really powerful, and uh, we want the web to be a viable platform for those things. We don't want to have to have you go in and download a 30 megabyte, 40 megabyte app in order to see your Pinterest page. Like, this is a joke. This is not what we want to be doing in five years or 10 years. Uh, and so the fight really is not about how can we use web developer expertise on native things. I understand that's a big priority for Facebook. That's a big priority for Google, where they have like that kind of transfer of knowledge that they want to happen on their very large teams. And I don't think that uh, Ember, like as a community, is uh, against that. I just think as a, as a framework, our reason to enter is to focus on, on the web and to make the web great. Uh, and so I'd like to make native, like make great mobile apps possible is like the, the real um, goal, which slightly mis like directs away from your question, which isn't the intent. <laughs> yeah, so you're kind of focused more on the progressive web app story, um, you know, making the, the actual web application feel native, but actually be, uh, you know, just a web app. Yeah, this was a big focus at, at EmberConf and is something that as a, uh, as a framework we've been, uh, we've been work into Fastboot, and we've been pouring a lot of work into Glimmer 2, and we've been pouring a lot of work into JSON API, which is a great abstraction for um, being able to get like cacheable entities that actually guarantee that you have all the data about the data model when you go to the client side and things like that. Uh, so all, all those things are, the, the cool thing about Ember is kind of like with Ember CLI, it was a big mess for a long time. It didn't look a lot better than what anyone else was doing, but we managed to like piece together and create mature solutions even though they took longer and then suddenly we have Ember CLI and it's great 
And it didn't come out of nowhere. It was a lot of like directed work that we knew there was an end goal we wanted to get to. I think like a big goal this year, this summer, this fall is going to be mobile apps and that progressive web app experience. And, and we have that end goal. It's just like we need to take the directed steps to, to get toward it. Uh, Tom and Yehuda's keynote from Emmerkampf uh, about three weeks ago uh, is a good uh, summary of, of a lot of that, I think. Yeah, I cool. think yeah, let's make the term sure. SDK for the web, which I think is a great one. Cool. Yeah, let's make sure we get that uh, link in the show notes, please, Gavin. Thank you. So um, my last question, just to kind of bring this all full circle, is um, it... I'm, I'm excited by the, the cool stuff that it sounds like Ember is working on. There's a lot of really interesting problems that the community seems to be tackling, and that's awesome. I think one of the things that we've seen from, for example, the Angular world was that Angular 1 came out, and everybody got super excited and jumped on Angular 1, and they built all of their apps in it. And then Angular 2 came out, and the world looked a whole lot different, and there's a lot of pain. So my question, and I don't mean this to sound uh, snarky, but my question is, is it maybe too early to jump on the Ember train if there's all this amazing stuff that's coming out um, and still being developed? Like, for example, maturity around Fastboot, the stuff with Glimmer 2 sounds mind-blowing. Um, is it, is it, are we too early to jump on that? And, and, and what I mean by that is if we build an Ember app the way it is now, how locked in are we to that where things could be very different six months or 12 months from now, similar to what we saw in the Angular world? Yeah, I'll just say one or two things. I think this is a something. This is a topic that's near and dear to Ember as a framework, so I can communicate. And I think both Gavin and Robert will probably have pretty interesting things to say. So I'll I'll, I'll try and keep mine short. But um, uh, one of the things you get by buying into by buying into Ember uh, as a framework that is truly independent uh, is that you have the ability to influence what happens to it. Like we are not something that uh, we we are not working on an internal product. That's you know the 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 ads platform at Google internally, and that's our main use case that we're thinking of, which is not meant to be a slight against Angular team who takes many use cases into account. Um, but it is actually our bread and butter as our framework. We all, like I work for a small consumptive company that's worked with a bunch of various companies. Robert works at an Amazon-owned like, like bigger company. Gavin works at like a medium-sized startup. And we're all here talking about being experts in this framework, because even though we all have very, very different use cases and, and desires in the day-to-day. Uh, so I think we keep that close to close to our minds, and by participating in the Ember community, you have the ability to continue to shape that direction. A year ago, there were, weren't so many people who worked on Ember uh, at huge companies, and this year we have like PlayStation Now, and you know, Yahoo is a really big buy-in, and LinkedIn is a really big buy-in, and all these big companies making big bets. And you can see in the framework how that shifted our focus. Uh, so I, I, I think as a, when you participate in open source, you are able to decide what happens. Uh, if you if you're just consuming something blindly, then you don't have that opportunity. So I think there's always change. Um, Ember has a value of stability without stagnation. That uh, we focus on semantic versioning, having smooth upgrades to major versions where there are no actual breaking changes. We just remove features, uh, and I think that that will continue because our focus is on real applications from from people in the wild. But Robert or Gavin, please. Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, I think the key is the stability without signation idea, and and, and there was a great talk that you had just gave, um, that uh, that sort of went through the 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 progression of that, and I think that um, I think that the idea um, the, the idea that if 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 you wrote an Ember you know an idiomatic Ember one five app. 
um, or something. This was many, this was a long time ago. I can't even like a year and a half ago or something. Um, you know, you could you could relatively straightforwardly get that app up to date uh, with current version of Ember, which is two five. Um, you know, in uh, most of that is is with the tooling and the workflow processes that we've put together uh, to help you figure out. You know, we we don't remove things without deprecations, even private APIs. Um, you know, like the, the things like that, right? So if you can, you can jump up, you see the deprecation, you like read the docs, the deprecations all have URL links to tell you what to do. Um, you know, all of that stuff is exactly what, um, you know, where, where we're going. Uh, we've recently, uh, just recently released our first LTS, uh, which is, um, if you're not familiar, Ember itself has like a train model similar conceptually to uh, what Chrome has done. Um, so we ship a new version, a new minor release every six weeks. Um, if that's a little too fast for you or you don't, you don't want to try to uh, uh, do that work each time, if there is any work, um, you, can, you can always just stick on the LTS and those, those are um, roughly four months, um, I believe. Um, and, um, and, and the idea is that the deprecations and whatnot um, will always be a good landing point at the various LTSs so you can see things, you, you know um, what, the, what, the pro what the path forward is uh, and, and, and whatnot. Um, so, so I think um, unlike with, especially initially with the Angular 2 announcement, um, you know, like they didn't necessarily have uh, an upgrade plan that, that, wasn't, that wasn't the goal. The goal was to build the best framework they could build. And I think that's great, actually. Um, and, um, and I think that, um, but I think it's a little bit reversed for us. Like our goal is to build the best framework we can, but make sure all of our users can get there. Um, and um, at every step of the way, we're always planning migrations. We're planning, um, you know, the, the the stepping stones to get to where we want to be. Um, and in the end, it's, it's just the long game, right? Like it's, um, you know, you take the right angles, you uh, you do the right things along and along. Um, and since Ember is is really, uh, as Gavin said earlier, it's really a community. Um, you know, like leaving people behind just because an individual company or, or uh, you know, a core stakeholder um, needs a given thing or needs to change the, the path um, isn't an option, right? Like, because we're all made up of uh, many different companies, many different users, and uh, the whole community itself um, sort of drives the direction of where things are going. I think you'll see with, uh, with Glimmer 2 when it is, there'll be some point released later in the year and Glimmer 2 will be enabled for everyone. And it will be a relatively, it will be an easy upgrade because it's it's uh, the it's compatible with the handlebars template syntax and all of the helpers go along with it and all of the hooks into Ember will be work the same way. So uh, it's by design. It will just happen. Your app will magically become faster, leaner, um, and uh, that's certainly been our experience. Uh, even even going from one to two, which obviously. Uh, frameworks uh, learn, you know, you, you release a one, you do all sorts of things, you change, you learn from the community, people start using it. Uh, the one to two transition hasn't been painless and a lot of le lessons have, have, have been learned, but it hasn't been very painful. And uh, I, I looked at what happened when Angular 2 was announced and I just in, uh, just for a moment thought of what that would have meant for us at Intercom in terms of just even dollars uh, if that had happened to, to in, in, if that had been Ember's approach to upgrading, and it just would have been, I, I would have felt embarrassed. Um, uh, I was so thankful, uh, like that. Th these are some of the things that uh, I, the reasons that I uh, was able to convince people in Intercom that we should make a big bet 
on Ember, and I was I'm so so happy to see that actually is it's all uh, unfurled exactly like that, and uh, you know it, it remains uh, a a big part of what Ember is. Awesome, thank you for that. Um, we are really down on our time, so. Uh, we do have two questions on Twitter. Uh, if you do have a question, if you're watching live, you can tweet JSR question, and uh, we'll look at those. So the first is from Scott Chapman, um, and this one I think the answer will be um, anecdotal at best, but might be interesting. The question is, how do Ember dev salaries compare to other front-end dev salaries? Definitely an interesting question. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm not... I, Competitive. <laughs> I mean, devs, devs get paid pretty well uh, a, a lot of places. I know that uh, San Francisco pays better than New York. Uh, I know that London is more expensive but doesn't pay as good as San Francisco. Um, but I've never quite heard anyone say that they got paid more for working in React versus working in Angular or you know Vue.js versus Ember or something like that. So uh, I know there is certainly a lot of demand. Yeah, cool. we have we have people uh, we have engineers working on React and Intcom. We have engineers who work with Backbone, and we have uh, engineers who work on Ember, and uh, we're all uh, treated <laughs> the same in many cool. ways. <laughs> That's probably good. <laughs> awesome. Um, and for our uh, last question, this is from Eric Henchett, and the question is: Are there some features not in Ember? you'd like to see added from other frameworks like React or Angular? Uh, I can definitely state at least one. So Angular, um, I'm not sure that I agree totally with the API, but Angular's uh, their new template syntax in 2.0 uh, allows you to, uh, like, uh, in a way that not even React allows you to do, it allows you to say exactly that you want to set a property or an attribute or add an event handler to a DOM node. Uh, and I don't like their micro syntax. I think it's too micro syntaxy and too magical. If you learn it, it's great, but if you're picking it up and walking into a project, there's no way you know what bracket parentheses, you know, something parentheses bracket means. Um, but I think that that would be a great thing for Ember to, to be able to do better at, especially, um, like I said, I've been looking at web components, custom elements a lot, uh, and in order to interact with those, we need a better way to decide exactly what I want to do. I want to set an attribute. I don't want to, or I want to add an easy event listener. Uh, we have, there's an RFC for um, element modifiers, which is something I was working on a few months ago that I'm going to be pushing on again, and element modifiers would probably help with that solution. I think what me, what I'd like to see in Ember, personally, or at least Ember CLI, is first-class support for our, um, importing from NPM modules and not having to use like something third-party like Ember Browserify. Because uh, I guess at a previous employer, I was using React with Webpack, and it was nice being to import NPM modules. But now, right now, as it is, Ember doesn't have first-class support for that. Um, you can use Bower, you can use Bower um, libraries, but it'll be nice to have like NPM because there are a lot of libraries that are on NPM that aren't necessarily on uh, Bower. So yeah, that's my one uh, wish. Yeah, the good thing is that we're 
actively pushing towards that. Um, we use some of our Bower dependencies from around 15, maybe six down to I think four right now, um, and uh, and they're slowly pushing pushing towards that that future. Um, once once we've dropped the requirement of Bower uh, for new apps, then we'll be able to begin working on, but like out of the box, making the the require from uh, npm packages work. Um, and many add-ons today, for example, uh, will will um, Take a uh, you know a known library um, like like there's a great fetch polyfill right um, there's an add-on that takes the fetch polyfill and makes it um, and and wraps it and augments it and adds nice utility functions to use an Ember and, and whatnot and that all comes from npm so it's it's definitely possible it's just a lot more annoying uh, yeah. than it needs to be and uh, and you know so I, I think that uh, it's definitely uh, the path forward. Um, I, I guess I'll go since I'm already talking. Um, the uh, so I really like to see us to continue to push the barriers of developer ergonomics um, and uh, and making things uh, better. Uh, and I and I think that this will actually like help the the entire ecosystem. GCLI is just Ember CLI, um, and and you know so it, as we make improvements and uh, extractions and 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 make the world better there, um, you know at least both frameworks get better, um, and and likely uh, many others, um, you know so so the, the the things to me are are just the you know from a developer perspective, um, you know like what are the what are the hitches what are the places where the gotchas and the things that you trip up um, and, and I'm not sure that any frame every framework has them um, so I'm not sure that I be I'm stealing this idea from another framework so probably not answering the question properly but uh, but that's the one of the biggest things that uh, that I'd like to see fixed cool um, we just got another question um, yeah so uh, this is from k2g and the question is uh, Ember is not typically a framework of choice in Java-based shops. Do you see that as well in consulting projects? And it, maybe is there a reason for that? So I, yeah. I know of a, a number of um, of fairly large uh, shops using Java on the back end and Ember apps on the front. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think I think the idea, uh, you know there's integration points that could still be made better um, and whatnot. Um, but it's there's there's nothing inherently different about Angular or Angular in the concept of what your backend is written in, um, you know. So so I don't I don't think there's any any barrier. Um, it just may not be like a mindset thing, um, you know, like where the people are are more exposed to a given platform or another. Yeah, I think even in the world of Ruby, where um, I think that's the most immediate uh, what people most immediately like correlate with Ember. Um, but like Ember has nothing, just because it's like Ruby, it's more like the lessons of Ruby and Rails that we take away. It is none of the actual technology or stack. Like you don't use the Rails command anymore or anything like that to do anything with Ember. Uh, and I think that's, that's maybe part of the jump as well. People are very used to putting JavaScript into their existing server-side stack code base. Uh, and it's a little bit of a conceptual leap to jump away from that, especially if you have a Java code base that's probably quite large if you're at an enterprise uh, shop. But we work with Ember apps that use Go on the back end, that use Ruby on the back end, that use Python on the back end, is all, all kinds of things. Yeah, I think you have that conceptual jump with any um, you know, modern framework uh, where we're just kind of, we changed from like server-side render totally to client-side render. Now we're kind of doing both um, and people are still doing, you know, banging away at the server-side um, only stuff. So we're all learning and uh, growing. So. That's our, our question, so it's time to get into our tips and picks. Um, so we'll, we'll go with our panelists, and then I'll go, and then uh, we'll have our guests go. Uh, so e, um, let's see. 
Yehani, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, just for my uh, picks, I have a link to a series for building a performant real-time web app with Ember Fastboot and Phoenix, and it's by Mike North. And I think I haven't gone through it yet, but I was just uh, like browsing through it, scrolling through it, and I was, it looks very interesting. Um, it's cool like to see how the story around using Ember Fastboot and combining that with another new technology, or at least one that's getting really popular, like Phoenix and Elixir. So I thought it looked pretty cool. I'd suggest people to check it out. It looks like a good resource for learning both Fastboot and um, Ember and use them together. I mean, Ember and um, Phoenix. Cool. Uh, good if uh, yeah, so uh, just picks today. Um, right now there's quite a bit of discussion that sparked up over the last 24 to 48 hours over um, ES6 modules and how they fit into the Node and CommonJS ecosystem. Um, uh, Bradley Mech and several other people have been doing a lot of work on that, and they came out with a draft proposal for what they think it should be, and it involves having to name our files with a different file extension, and then a bunch of other people jumped up and said, oh, that's terrible, so there's actually a, uh, at least one counterproposal that's been put out. Um, so there's a, a good raging debate on that, and regardless of where you sit, I think it would be good for listeners to kind of pay closer attention to that stuff um, because it's definitely going, whatever decision gets made is going to be with us for a really long time in the Node ecosystem. Um, two very self-serving picks. First um, mention is Frontend Masters. Um, Frontend Masters, for those of you who don't know, is a great video training platform. I have a bunch of my trainings on there as well as there's uh, 30 some odd other, uh, 30 or 40 other authors that have done amazing courses on there. So I highly recommend checking out Frontend Masters. You've probably seen some of those videos get serialized out into places like Pluralsight and so forth, but Frontend Masters is the main platform for that, so I recommend that for sure. And the other self-serving link is the book series that I have, the Udonojs books. Um, it has been asked for for more than three years now for there to be some box set sort of pricing for people that want to buy more than one of the books in the series. Uh, that's finally out. We have discounts for purchasing two or more of the copies or a flat price for all six books, and that applies to both print and ebooks. So um, I'm excited to see that come out. And on the heels of that, <laughs> as soon as we release that pricing now, um, I'm going to be starting up on the second edition revisions pretty soon. So. That's my picks. Great. Thanks, Kyle. Um, that's really interesting about that uh, modules thing. People, definitely check that out because this will be very impactful on your lives. Um, okay, so I'll go ahead and give my uh, tips and picks. Uh, my tip for this week is thank at least one person every day out of the blue. So um, I got an email a couple, like a week or two ago from somebody just saying thank you, and it was just super nice, and it totally was validating and, and just made my day. Um, and then today, here's my pick, um, I got a tweet from David Wells. He uh, just published a, a blog post entitled JavaScript Community Thank You Letter, um, which was just super, super nice of him, um, where he's thanking several people in the community that's helped him out. And so, um, yeah, thank people, and uh, they will be happy. Uh, also, uh, Teladoc. So I am sick um, right now and not feeling super well, and the last thing that you want to do when you're sick is leave the house. 
Um, and so, like, even to go to the doctor. And so, I, for the first time ever, I tried this teledoc thing, um, and I was able to, like, just do the appointment on my phone and get a prescription, and it was awesome. So, yeah, 2016 is a great time to be alive. Um, so, yeah, that's th those are my picks. Um, Gavin, why don't we have you go next? Okay, uh, so my tip is... Um, I've come across this saying a few times. Uh, I believe it's from Steve Jobs. Uh, normally, it's it's on a poster on a wall in some software shop, and it's uh, it's not done until it ships. And I think that was uh, it was true back in the day when shipping software or hardware uh, software meant putting bits on a CD and putting it in a box and putting it in a in a uh, shop to sell. That's that was done back in those days. But uh, I think we can do better. Um, uh, I think shipping is just the beginning. It's a better thing to put on a poster, and I encourage people to do that. Um, so for my pick, uh, it's, a, it's a musical instrument called Ableton Push, um, something I've been playing around with and thinking about uh, a little bit recently. I'm planning to do a, a, a series of YouTube videos on, I just did the first this week, on using JavaScript to control it. I'm hoping that this ends up with uh, actually building a, a runtime uh, in Ember for the Ableton Push, and uh, hopefully get to present that at maybe Ember Fest in uh, in October. If uh, well, I'm going to submit the talk, and if it gets accepted, uh, to end up there and possibly with a live performance. That's sweet. You you should add a link to uh, your uh, YouTube series that you were talking about. That'd be sweet. Uh, Matthew, we'll have you go next. Yeah, I didn't think I had anything, and then all you guys had great stuff, and now I have stuff. Um, uh, I, I wanted to quickly add to Gavin's thing. The um, uh, Yehuda during the keynote, he said it really, really fast, so I think a lot of people didn't hear it at EmberConf, but Ember has a six-week release cycle, which is akin to browsers, um, but when we did the 1.0 to 2.0 jump, it's kind of like the first time you've had a six-week release cycle-based um, thing, but then also had a breaking change as part of it. And I think that's part of the, like the, the big opportunity for lessons was like it was kind of a unique event, and uh, we hope that other you know, like other libraries pick it up and we can all learn more. Um, I guess I do my my tips first. Uh, quick tip for code review: I think you should always assign code review to someone. Don't just open a PR and let it go into the void. Someone's name on it and make them responsible for it so that they need to follow through, and you can ping them and nudge them if you need to. Uh, avoid using pronouns and don't use words like you or we and things like that. Try and focus on the code and talk about um, the you know ways that you would differently structure the, the problem instead. Um, I think for some picks, uh, I use a cool tool called Teammate sometimes, which is uh, kind of like Tmux, which is a terminal multiplexer, but Teammate lets you share uh, the session over SSH, which is great for remote pair programming when you don't have great video and you can just use audio and then you can use the, the uh, share the terminal. Uh, it's also really good for doing training because you can share read-only sessions where people can just, everyone in the room can see what's going on on your terminal without needing to look at a, a projector or something like that. Uh, there's a conference called Wicked Good Ember that a consulting company in Boston Dockyard runs that's coming up this summer. It happens on Thompson Island, uh, so it's really fun. It's in Boston, and it was a great event last year, and I think it'll be really fun this year, so you should check that out. And last pick would be to, if you're interested in Ember and you think some of the things we talked about are neat, you should find Alex Machinier's talk on Ember concurrency. Push that hype. Uh, Ember concurrency is uh, basically, uh, Alex kept coming to the core team and saying, like, look at Rx, look at observables, and like, you, like you, we should put this stuff into Ember, and 
uh, he got heavy, heavy pushback on nobody thinking that the API was something that people actually uh, like really, really master and really take home. It's a very intimidating thing to learn observables, and you kind of need to wrap your brain around them first. If you're talking about I have a team of developers and I just want to manage my async properly, it's overwhelming to ask them to learn observables just to do that. Um, so he nailed a beautiful API that uses ES5 generator syntax. Uh, to be able to um, just naturally write code that feels good, but also hand in, handles async in a, in a way similar to um, uh, observables. So I highly encourage that you check out uh, Ember Concurrency. Cool. Thank you. Robert. Robert. All right. So uh, tips. Um, so basically, um, the uh, the first tip dovetails. Uh, I thought Matt was going to steal my tip actually, uh, but it dovetails nicely with Matt's tip, um, and uh, uh, of of always assigning uh, code review to someone. Um, my tip is always automate the menial tasks. Um, so essentially, uh, you know. Uh, in Ember, we do release cycle. We do individual beta releases every week. Um, many for both Ember and Ember CLI and Ember Data and all of the projects. It's a lot of work that's happening every week. Um, uh, you absolutely have to uh, automate as much as possible in those cases. Uh, the same is true in your company, though. It's not just an open source project thing. Like the same is true at every job you have. There are tasks that you do. Uh, sometimes it's uh, like. Deploying to master, or deploying after master emerges, or something like that, right? All of that stuff should be automated. Like, free yourself from doing that that sort of routine uh, manual uh, labor, um, and uh, and in buy yourself time on the things that are actually you're getting paid to do, um, and hopefully, and um, you know, and move those things forward. Um, so that's that's um, that's like my my tip. Um, my picks are going to be weird. Um, so. Uh, the first pick, uh, and I, I don't know how you pick this, but I'm going to pick it, um, is the, uh, the, the April update for Destiny. Um, Destiny is a video game I play on PS4. It is awesome. Um, I, uh, I am assigned uh, the duty of uh, playing video games as a chore to not do too much open source. Um, and, uh, and this update was the best update that they've done to the game. It's been really great. And... Um, uh, it's it's been so much fun. Um, so uh, the second pick is don't work too much. Or uh, yeah, basically um, uh, it dovetails with the first one. Um, and then the last one is um, uh, always get involved in um, in the community that you're working in. Um, don't don't just assume that um, you know it's this uh, faceless walled garden of uh, software development and you know letting letting every everything happen sort of over there and not being involved. Uh, get involved, jump in, jump in. Like Ember has a great Slack room. There's you know a few thousand people in there, um, and uh, you know like there's you can ask questions. There's help channels. There's channels specifically for all sorts of things. Um, every community has this, um, and you're going to get way more out of any uh, framework or um, or language or or anything you're doing if you can jump in and actually talk to people um, and, uh, and 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 meet that that community um, that that we've talked so much about. So so that's me. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I think we're going to wrap things up. Um, and so just to give a quick shout out to our silver sponsors, they are O'Reilly Fluent Conf, Auth0, and Trading Technologies. Check them all out because they're awesome and support the show. Thank you, thank you to them. Um, if you have suggestions on future shows or topics, go to suggest.javascriptair.com. Uh, we appreciate your suggestions. Um, and if you have feedback for this show or other shows, uh, go to feedback.javascriptair.com and uh, I will personally read all of those. Um, 
And then we have a newsletter for each show. We uh, give some highlights from the show and, and post in the show notes and stuff. So go to jsair.io slash email uh, to see previous newsletters and to sign up uh, for the newsletter in your inbox. Um, and then remember next week we're going to be on-site at ngconf, so the, the time will be different. Um, so just be aware of that, live viewers. Um, and we're going to have a bunch of people. It's going to be fun. Um, and yeah, as always, follow us on Twitter, Google Plus, and Facebook to keep up with the latest. And uh, that's it. So thanks, everyone, for showing up. Um, and I think this was a, a really great show. So thanks. <laughs> and we'll catch you all next week. Thanks, y'all. Bye.